Hey guys, welcome back to Pugs and Pages. My name is Steven. That was my lovely wife, Liberty. And we are a podcast where we try to inflict the other person with our interests by talking about the latest in books and sports news. And this week we're gonna do a little experiment and separate out the sports and the books. We know everybody's favorite will be the sports, but right well, now we're working on DOS books. I don't know if I agree with you about that, but... Let's get into the book news. So there's actually a decent amount of it since we didn't record while I was up in Oklahoma. Two week hiatus equals two weeks of news. Yeah. So Simon and Schuster named a woman named Dana Kennedy, I want to say is how you pronounce that, as their new head of publishing. She's been technically the senior vice president of the publishing house and it's the first black person to head a major publishing house and i think it's gonna be because of the whole black lives matter thing and finally opening up that position to someone other than a white man so that's good at least as they say kudos to that i guess in that instance it's uh, about time to change everything around both male and female and race-based right and She's written books and articles in the past, and actually she had won a Pulitzer for one of her series of articles. So, you know, she knows something about books and writing. So Yeah, you don't just win a Pulitzer for giggles, that's for right, sure. Right, right. And then continuing with sort of that political mindset, you've got Phoebe Robinson started a new imprint called Tiny Reparations Books. And they're going to try to amplify marginalized voices at their imprint. And Robinson is known for her podcast called Two Dope Queens. It and sounds like a great podcast name, right, Two Dope Queens. Right, I hadn't heard of it before, but she's known for some other things as well, but that's the main thing she's known for. So I'm interested to see what the imprint actually publishes. I think the first thing slated for printing is her own book so she's already got a book in the works that she's gonna print before any of the other books well, that kind of makes sense you know if you got to be a test dummy use your own work i guess so and then governor andrew cuomo is considering writing a book about the whole covid thing which i i don't know how to feel about that uh the way i feel about it is it's too soon it's just well, far too soon well he held daily briefings for 111 consecutive days during this whole COVID thing. Yeah. And he wants to use a book to discuss what they went through as a state and what they learned from the whole COVID thing. Because I think they've done the best out of any state in the U.S. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. But at the same time, I don't know that he should write a book. When you say the best, it... There was worst before the best. Well, you like, also they responded have to... to it better than most people have after they got absolutely just beat to heck. Well, that you'd have to argue is from the number of people, but again, saying it's the best doesn't quite mean a ton when the rest of the U.S. is just garbage about it. Right. So I don't know. They also announced while we were gone that nearly two dozen New York public libraries are going to open on Monday, July 13th. So this Monday that just happened when this uh, podcast comes out, they will have opened two dozen libraries, which we're always glad to see, I guess. 
it's going to be weird to see again how the libraries are going to handle that. Obviously, there's a lot of cities around the United States that have already opened up libraries. Right. So it's it's a good thing, especially for a lot of the lower income families that need them to access their emails or things like that based right. internet services that they don't have maybe access to at home. So right. I know that they're going to basically set incoming books aside for 72 hours, which is the standard right now for libraries, but I don't know how they're going to handle an influx of people coming in and using their computers and having to wipe everything down. We'll just have to see how they end up implementing COVID safety restrictions. Yeah, I would imagine it's related to some kind of capacity and a library, you know, this computer terminal like every other terminal and then like you you have the diagonals on the walls so you'd have one here and then like one there. And yeah, here it's and there just and like a checkerboard more or less. It's just going to be interesting to see how that works, but considering where New York as a state is right now, I don't know that this is as concerning as it would be if here in Texas they suddenly decided to open that many libraries, because that would be a real concern with how Texas has handled the virus. Yeah, it's it's definitely not a fair comparison to the way they're opening libraries versus the way we open things here in Texas, in fairness. Yeah, no. so. And another person who I wouldn't expect to want to come out with a book, but is, is Lana Del Rey is coming out with a poetry book. The singer? singing yes. artist? Yes. Okay, all right. And it's going to be a collection of 30 poems being released by Simon & Schuster in September. It's probably not going to be that bad because you got to think... She's like, a writing singer, lyrics, songwriter. Yeah, writing lyrics versus writing poems isn't that different, so... I would say it is different, but I don't know. I don't write either, so I can't be a 100% judge on that, but at right, the same time, right. it's, it's not that far-fetched. Right, but prior to that, they're going to come out with basically... A CD version is how it's been explained online. Basically, a select amount of poems from this collection are going to be set to music and stuff. So she wrote songs that are going to be books. I don't even know how to They're going to be poems. They're just like, she wrote it as a song and then was just like, hey, let's chunk this out and make it I don't know if it's going to be like that or it's going to be someone reading it with music in the background. It could be either version. So that's happening in August, and the actual book comes out in September. So we'll see what the early reviews and everyone has to say. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be weird. I'm kind of excited to see what it's going to be now, to be completely honest. I have trouble with poetry because I don't enjoy most poetry, and Milk and Honey is a poetry collection that came out a few years ago that everyone absolutely raved about and loved. And then when I finally read it, because I had COVID and was running out of things to read in bed, I hated it. So it's like, I don't know what I'm going to think about any poetry based on the fact that people love that one so much and I just didn't. Yeah, you, I don't know, as long as I've known you, you're not the biggest poetry person in the entire world. You're more of a book person, so I'm I'm not shocked. And I think it's partially because I don't like anything that's sort of ambiguous. So with poetry, a lot of it's just imagery and metaphors and like you can take meaning for this or you can say that the meaning comes out to this and I don't like it being so ambiguous. For the last two pieces of book news I have, one is that Stephen King's latest book, If It Bleeds, 
is getting three different movie deals. And this is because it's a collection of four novellas. So three out of the four got picked up for movies. And the novellas were published in May as one bind up. But it got split up into three different movie deals and then one was the sad little novella that couldn't get someone interested I guess. And what's interesting is partially who picked it up but also how Stephen King's movie deals work because apparently he takes a very tiny amount of money for the signing and it getting picked up but then they have a certain amount of time to make it into a movie and give him his money at the end. So I think it's because he didn't want all of his books to get optioned and then never become a movie yeah so i can kind of understand that and i think if it was another author i don't know that that would work for his contract he basically forced him to be on the clock because he's like i know i'm great i know what i wrote is great turn it into a movie now or forever hold your peace. well and it also keeps his name in everyone's brains yeah by publishing and then quickly turning into a movie people are still paying attention but the three places that have acquired the rights for his novellas are netflix of course protozoan pictures who i've never heard of before but that doesn't mean anything and oddly ben stiller picked up one of the novellas well ben stiller's got a lot of money and he likes he, to make movies so he's I'm gonna produce and act in the novellas uh, adaptation called Rat. Perfect. I have no clue what this novella is about, but it's been sort of rumored that he's going to play another one of the main characters and not the character called Rat. So who knows? And then for the last piece of news is something that we're interested in and it's been added to our Netflix queue already and it's a movie for The Old Guard, which is based on a five-part graphic novel series. I might actually pick up those graphic novels now that I know where it came from. Right. And some early reviews of the adaptation are saying that it's a pretty decent adaptation and the changes that were made to turn it into a movie were changes that made it better. So That's always a good thing to hear because usually it's like, oh god, this made it so much worse, why'd we do it? And so I think it would be interesting for us to watch the movie and read the graphic novels, but I'm the kind of person who has to read the material before I watch the movie. So if we're going to do that, we need to get the graphic novel soon because I really want to watch the movie. Right. And that's it for book news unless you have book news. I don't really have any book news. The only book <laughs> news I have is that I started Prisoner of Azkaban. And we watched Chamber of Secrets last night in preparation for discussing the adaptation today. Yeah, and the tough part for me was because we took a two-week hiatus in... Harry Potter. Harry Potter. I finished the book two weeks ago. <laughs> And so the comparisons were tough for me because unlike my wife, who's read it 8 million times, maybe 8 trillion times, you know, that many times, I do not have the entire book memorized like she did. So the whole time we were watching the movie, it was me going like, hey, this was different. Hey, this was different. Hey, this was different. So, and then she was like, you're only saying that because I'm writing things down. And I was like, (laughs) no, that's not true. I actually noticed that there was a difference and, you know, was able to talk about it. So... I think the main problem for you being able to spot the differences was that they didn't actually remove a lot of things related to plot. Yeah, so the main plot is relatively similar. It was a lot of the side plot stuff that didn't really exist. Right, and 
some of the things that were cut from this movie were because their counterpart in the first one was also not in the movie. Right. Like, you at one point have Filch catching Harry and Ron doing something, and it's supposed to be Peeves. Right. But Peeves was never introduced in the first movie, so he couldn't be... Therefore, he is no way for him to be in the second movie at all. Right. 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 But going through my notes, because I have three pages of notes for about two hours worth of the movie out of almost three hours of movie. I've got about like a page and a half of notes in my head, not on paper, because, you know, I'm, I I have different memory for things that right. clearly... My top two things that I first thought of when I was going over my opinions of the book versus the movie is that I actually enjoyed Gilderoy Lockhart a lot more in the movie than I did in the book. And I think it's partially because you miss some of those scenes where he's being an absolute prick towards Harry. Yeah, you definitely get more in the movie Gilderoy Lockhart. He's a he's more like a himbo in this one. He's, he's definitely over the top a little bit. Like, he's still the over the top Gilderoy Lockhart. And I think the actor they picked for him was about as perfect as you can nail right. him on the head. And and like you said, a lot of the, the side plot of him picking on Harry is kind of cut out of the movie so like well he thinks he's helping Harry but really he's just sort of being a prick yeah he's being full of himself and being over the top and like a little crummy in some ways that you know are are tougher to describe I guess yeah and the other thing I noted is that I still really enjoy getting back into Harry Potter, even though in my mind, I think Chamber of Secrets might be one of my least favorite of the movie adaptations. Not the worst. I think we've yet to see the one that I think is the worst, but it's pretty low for me. I think the movie adaptation, like, again, covered a majority of the major plot points. Right. It missed a lot of really good side stuff. Things that are world building. Yeah. And and so the ones that I'd say I missed the most were probably the Death Day party i thought that was hilarious yeah yeah you know you really get to be more attached to Pease's character in that that scene you know like you realize that he's just terrorizing everybody and not just specific people yeah well he's a poltergeist he's supposed to be horrible to everyone yeah and so and then you see kind of uh nearly headless nick go through some emotional scenes as well where Mm -hmm. You have the headless horseman come in. The and, headless hunt, yeah. Yeah, the headless hunt. So it was, it was. There was a lot of stuff that like I enjoyed in the book that you didn't see in the movie, which mm-hmm. was disappointing. I think, especially at the burrow with the Weasleys, you miss so much of Harry sort of seeing a wizard home for the first time and seeing how it works, and then also. You have some bonding moments between Harry and the other Weasleys. It's not just him and Ron. Like, you get Molly being very motherly towards Harry in the book. And you miss the garden gnomes, like the greatest part of (laughs) Burroughs. You know, those little buggers. Just spin them around as fast as you can and throw them as far as you can, and they still somehow find their way back. Yes. Well, because Arthur's too soft on them, of course. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you kind of see that softness to Arthur's side in in the movie. So, like, I feel like they they nailed the characters for who they were pretty well in that movie. Right. And, And so, like, the difference between, like, book Ron and movie Ron wasn't that big. You know, Hermione was a little bit of a difference, but again, not that gigantic of a difference like it was in the first book so well Hermione took some actions away from other characters like fixing Harry's glasses yeah she's not supposed to be the one who does that in Diagon Alley and then she takes people's actual lines from the books like one of Dumbledore's lines yeah and so 
you get a Hermione that isn't quite as, like, young-seeming as she is in the books. Like, she seems like an older character yeah. in this one. She's definitely more grown and responsible for the actions and things that she says than you saw in the first movie, which is kind of crazy because it's only supposedly been a year difference. Right, right. And then you also have at Borgen and Burks, you're missing a lot of Malfoy backstory, but there's also two things that are setting up book six that you don't see in the movie in the second Well, as I've not read book six, I probably don't know those connections. But That's I... why I'm not being very specific. Yeah. But there are two things that happen in that scene in the book that set up things in book six. And you don't get that in this movie, which means you're not as connected to what happens in book six. Yeah. And then one of the crazy scenes that at the very beginning when you're running into uh, Dobby for the first time, that scene... That CGI is awful. By the way. It wasn't spectacular, but for the time, it was probably good. Right, right. And then the real dilemma, though, was the scene just didn't play out at all the way it did. Like, leading into him meeting Dobby, even, was not that... It it didn't fill what the book did for me. Like Right, right. Well, because you're supposed to get him noticing Dobby's eyes in the bushes first. Yeah. But since they cut out the whole, like, first half of Harry's birthday day, you don't get that. Right. And then... The scene in the kitchen is completely different. It's not... Obviously, Dobby is the reason it falls from where it falls in the book, but it's not... The pudding, yeah. It's literally not a cake that levitates, you know, over the guest's head and then dumps the cake on her head. That's just not the way it was. And I feel like it was... They were trying to force him to be more mischievous, necessarily, than he was in the book. Like, he was mischievous to a extent but it wasn't like intentionally like here let me hover this cake all the way over to this person's head right it was more like i'm gonna make this fall over yeah you know which is completely different you also miss harry getting his warning about misuse of magic and being expelled even though he's done literally no magic at all well with the warning he could get expelled yeah yeah and That sets up something for book five that you completely miss out on. So, like, even though these are seemingly insignificant differences, it affects how the story is told later on in the other movies. Right. And so you think it's not important now, but it is important later. Right. Yeah. And... Another thing... Go ahead. So, I had a question about when they go shopping for their school stuff. Everyone is wearing their outer robes to go shopping. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? It's not like you're going right to Hogwarts right now, you know? What is happening? Yeah. I just thought that was so weird. And even if you were about to go to Hogwarts, you can change on the train. It's a multi-hour train ride. Exactly. It's just weird to me that, like, that that was honestly strange, because, like, you don't picture them going shopping for things in their robes. That's just Like, yes, I am part of Gryffindor, and I'd like to buy my things. Well, also, you're not supposed to have the emblems on their robes. They're Mm -hmm. just supposed to be plain black robes, but we discussed that last time. Yeah, another movie detail fail, you know. And... Like, we missed the fight between Weasley and Malfoy in the flourishing blocks. Right. And so it seemed like a lot of the little stuff that I enjoyed was cut out. Yeah. Which was kind of disappointing. Another scene that I really thoroughly enjoyed was the Valentine's Day. 
Right? That would have been hilarious to watch in a movie. I don't think it would have changed the drive of the plot of the movie, but it would have been funny to have in yeah. the movie. Well, and it sort of changes how Harry figures out the diary. Right. And that's important to the plot, but in the movie, they just have him start writing in the diary. So, I mean, technically that works, because that's probably how Jenny figured out how the diary works. Right. So... It's not implausible. I think it's just not what I would want to see. Right. And so that was a tough one. The other scene where Harry is playing Quidditch, like the practice. Let's just start with the practice, I guess, in this sense. Quidditch practice. Well, yeah, he was supposed to be woken up before sunrise by Oliver Wood and then taken to the pitch. And then instead what ends up happening is they're just walking to the pitch and they run into the Slytherins. Yeah, the idea was, like, I would have loved to see where seeing seeing the scene let's go with that gosh that's a mouthful for some reason where they would have had Oliver Wood like waking Harry up at the crack of dawn because right. it's so well described in the book where he's like oh, I can barely get up and can, can't even open my eyes and we're here at this practice and I'm like falling asleep while he's talking about and the twins plays. are like making jokes with you know about how early it is and like why we're here so early and yeah. so and like so it's forth. just it's world building and like character interaction that you're missing and it's not anything that's gonna really change too much for the plot right which is probably why they were changing things but i also don't like that for that section you don't get colin creevy just following harry asking about quidditch and it's like i heard someone saying your name so i came out and him being a giant fanboy yeah. It's more like he's just an annoying kid with a camera. Which he is in the book as well. But he's also a fanboy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, D all of the above. Um, he checks all those boxes off. Colin Creevy is definitely a interesting character addition with this one. It's really like the first character to be truly obsessed with Harry Potter in, in the book. I and, would argue Ginny was the first. Well, yeah, but like that's a different kind of obsession I feel like. Yeah. You know? Colin Creevy is more of oh, Harry Potter's great. I love everything about Harry Potter whereas Ginny's like I love, love Harry Potter. <laughs> like yeah. there's a little bit of a difference. So. Well, you also miss his whole background about him being muggle-born and the fact that his dad's a milkman and like just again character development things it's got nothing to do with actual like plot right like obviously he's a muggle born in the movies because he gets petrified so like it's explained but it's not explained you know Mm -hmm. not as well as it could have been to say the least and then if you're wanting to still talk about quidditch that quidditch game was a freaking mess in the movie actually it was garbage right um the whole like being chased and followed by draco with the whole bludger Thing was a fiasco. Like, I'm pretty certain the director of the movie was just like, hey, we like what you wrote. We're not going to use any of it. But <laughs> the fact that the bludger is going to follow Harry everywhere. And, and so it's just, it, it was weird. You know, like, the even in the actual movie, the bludger doesn't follow him right away like it does in the book. Like, right. in the book, it's instant. Like, it's coming at him, and the twins are having to protect him, and in turn, can't protect the other players and that's why Slytherin is winning by so much like 
there's a lot of things that were really important to that scene and it just none of it is there well and the movie added oliver wood getting hit by a bludger in his broom handle without him being injured i'm like how does that even work like we never see Wood lose his broomstick and have to buy another one. What is this crap? Yeah, it, it seems like it was more the director's take on his opinion on how action-packed it could be in his right. own way instead of following the standard that was set by J.K. Rowling. Right. And then you've got... This in particular bothered me because you've got Colin Creevy somehow already down on the pitch while the game is happening, taking photos. Having to dodge the bludger who is, like, it's following Harry, but not following Harry in that scene, which is the weird part about it. So, so I don't, that whole thing was a mess. Yeah, I agree. It was just, it was just weird, I guess, is the best way to put it. Like, they definitely made it exciting to watch as a movie, but having read the book, they missed so much good stuff that could have been included and probably, let's be honest, added, like, maybe a few minutes to the movie. Right. Like, 10, 12 minutes tops. Well, when we started watching the movies, I didn't realize how long they were, because when I was a kid, it was just the Harry Potter movies, and right. it didn't make an impact on me. But now trying to figure out when to watch them based on your schedule, I'm like... This is almost three hours long. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But still, they cut out so much stuff. And it's only like a 350-page book. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that they did such a chop job and still managed to land the plot, I guess, is what I've been shocked the most about. Right. And because they never introduced Professor Benz in the first movie... They decided they were going to have McGonagall teach everyone about the Chamber of Secrets. Right. And that whole scene was a mess. Well, on top of that, too, that, you know, like, it's the history of magic class. Like that's, So it makes sense. That it would be the guy that would know it. And obviously, they, they didn't want to create another character for one scene. I think that's really the reason the director did what he did. Well, and having to figure out how to make him look like a ghost and all this other crap, and I get it. It's just that was sort of a mess, especially the fact that all the classes were somehow mixed with all the houses, whereas specifically in the books, it's usually two houses in a class. Right. Yeah. And then you miss the bravery scene of Hermione and trying to run into Snape's uh, secured locker, more or less, of things to make potions with. Right. Um, and Harry obviously throws the firework into Goyle's, Goyle's uh, cauldron. cauldron. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that would have been a good addition. Like, that scene at least. Like, it, it, again, it's not going to change the plot, but I think it would have made Hermione kind of shine a little bit more than she did in mm -hmm. this book like yeah she showed off her smarts but like Hermione relatively to this movie was very non-existent like well she didn't display her willingness to break a bunch of rules and put her neck on the line like yeah making that potion involved breaking rules but it doesn't show her actually breaking the rules and going against what she internally would want to do. It shows her just being the smart Hermione that everybody already basically knows. Yeah. And and again, like, her availability in the movie seemed a lot less than it was in the first movie. Like, she wasn't around as much. Like, it seemed like more of a Ron and Harry adventure and... Well, partially because she, she ends up petrified. being petrified. And so she is actually missing for a while. And she's obviously not in the flying car and so on and, and so forth. And she also, when stuff. they take the polyjuice ends up getting transformed incorrectly. Yeah. 
And so she's in the hospital wing for a while. So that explains some of her absences, but I've never actually heard someone say that about Hermione in book two before. But, like, in, in the book, you never have that. Like, you won't notice that she's not around. Like, those things still happen to her. It's just not as obvious. It's 100% not anywhere near as obvious. Yeah. And how they get the book out of the library for the polyjuice potion is wrong. So right. you you miss Gilderoy Lockhart acting even more like a himbo. So, I mean, we love to see that. Can you sign this for me? Blah, 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 blah. And then, like, goes in and just... Giant quill signing it. Yeah. Doesn't even look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, for one of my biggest fans, let me sign this thing for you. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, Hermione was the one to stop the bludger in the movie. Why would she... That doesn't make any sense. In the book, don't the twins jump on it or something mm-hmm. like that? They rustle it to the ground and <laughs> shove it in the trunk. Yeah. And I was going to say, and again, that was kind of the director's take on, like, let's make more action. Kapow! Explosion! You know, right. like... And you miss the twins in that scene in particular, and I already think we don't get enough of the twins in the books, so, I mean... I'm not a fan of them making that directing So when they're, like, cut super out of the movie, you're just like, man, I just need some more of the twins right now. Well, they are a couple of my favorite characters. I'm not going to say they're my favorites, because I have too many favorites. So far, they're my favorite. I honestly, the one thing that I missed the most out of the adaptation of the movie was them mocking everybody for thinking Harry was the heir of Right. That is the greatest part of the book. Yeah. Like, shy of, like, the ending of it and how he defeats the Basilisk and all that stuff. The greatest part of the book is that scene, in my mind. I really love the twins. Just, like, they were like, look out, here comes the heir of Slytherin. Like, don't look him directly in the eye. Stupid crap like that. And for some reason, they decided to change how the hospital wing worked for the rogue bludger scene. Because for some reason, Malfoy's in the hospital wing moaning. Yeah. About nothing. Yeah. And on top of that, you've got Harry waking up to the sound of the basilisk talking or hissing. Yeah. And that's not what happens in the book. In the book, he wakes up because Dobby is patting his head with a washcloth. Yeah. And I think we miss some of Dobby's character development from that because while he's been doing all these evil things to try to save Harry, you also have this softer side of him. You see the caring side of him in the book that you don't see in the movie at all. Right. So, I mean, Dobby is a more flat character in the movie than he is in the books, I think. Yeah, he, he definitely is missing some some of the development on the side of showing that, like, legitimately he, he wasn't trying to kill Harry with the bludger. Like, he was just trying to hurt him so that he would go home. Right. You know, and... Well, apparently, if something hurts you in Hogwarts, you don't even go home then. So why... Yeah, Why would a rogue bludger send him home? Well, he doesn't know that. Dobby didn't go to school at Hogwarts, so it's, you know, what? like, mind explosion, yeah. you know, but he he's just trying to come up with a million different reasons, you know, why he did what he did, you know, mm. more or less, so. And then the dueling club scene and the library scene pre-attack. All sorts of messed all, up. All of that is sort of messed up, and... Well, Harry I, was supposed to be in the library by himself, right? And he's supposed to run into Hagrid during this point so that later on when he gets caught, supposedly, Hagrid's there to say, no, I was literally with him when that would have been happening. Right. And you don't have him there for that. Right. And, like, Hagrid still runs in and goes, he didn't do it. And it's like, well, how do you know? <laughs> so Like, you just assume because you know him that he didn't do it? Yeah, because the plot point that would have set that up 
to be right was completely ignored. It was not right. even in in the movie. So it's like, why did you, if you if you're gonna include this part where Hagrid comes barreling through the door like he didn't do it? How do you ignore the actual plot point that would have set that up successfully? Yeah. And the whole dueling club, they didn't pair everyone up to practice. So how did Hermione get the hair off Millicent Bolstrode's robes? Like how? Yeah, the the director definitely took a lot of cuts of things that he liked, but didn't. It's almost like he didn't read the book when he wrote the script. Like, I I know they probably did, and I'm sure J.K. was part of the creative processes for it, but at the same time, it's like, you can't give us a plot point and not give us how it was set up. That's not how movies work. Right, but they were working under this really long time frame for the movie, and then it's just things are switched around and moved and timelines messed up, so... I'm really not a fan of this one because there's no good explanation for how things worked based on what they cut out. Well, I think I already told you that this was one of the books that I did not enjoy nearly as much. I am very much a reader that wants to have something always going on, and I get it. It was building up a lot of stuff for the big hurrah, but at the same time, it seemed like it just dragged out a lot. And even though they cut a lot of things out from the movie, it still seems that way. I don't know, because you add so much action to this one that I don't know if I necessarily But the action that. isn't related to the actual plot, and that's the dilemma. Like, the bludger scene, yes, like, it's it's important that it happened, otherwise Harry doesn't end up in the hospital and Davi doesn't Seeing show up and all, all these things. things. Yeah. But it still seemed like, was it really that necessary? Like, So you like that there was added action, but you don't like how it was added. Right, because it took, a, it took away from the actual building point of the plot, which was what the book did better. So, you know, this is one of the first times in my lifetime where I'm like, listen, the movie was hot garbage. Even though it sped things up, don't get me wrong, there were a lot of things that were just like, go, 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 compared to what it was in the book. But they took out the key things in the book that if they would have just made it like 20 to 30 minutes longer movie, they could have had those scenes in there that would have built those things up. Well, if you cut out the extraneous action sections, like the whole Hogwarts Express nearly killing Harry and Ron... Which doesn't happen in the book at all. Then you could have included the plot points that set up other things that need to happen. Right, and it would have made the movie more enjoyable for the people that are coming over from the books. Right, but I will say that I still like Harry Potter books and movies, and so for me it's still sort of like coming home. It's like feeling warm and fuzzy and nostalgic, and maybe I'm always going to feel that because of how I was introduced to the books and the movies when I was so young. Right. So I'll always enjoy seeing The Burrow. I'll always enjoy seeing Christmas at Hogwarts. So like for me, even if it's incorrect, I'm still going to enjoy it. Gotcha. But I'm excited for you to read Prisoner of Azkaban because that is one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Harry Potter book. And so far, I can kind of understand that. I've, I've been thoroughly enjoying the book so far. It's definitely got me on the edge of my toes so far. And honestly, I it's been great so far, the book. But again, we'll go into that next week and yeah. kind of break down what I've read for the first 10 chapters and kind of go through it with my opinions on it. Yeah. For me, what I've been reading is I read Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets while I was in Oklahoma. And I still really enjoyed the book and... I still think there's a lot of good stuff in it. It's just not one of my top 
Harry Potter books. And it might be for the reasons you've said, it's just sort of slow moving, but I think you get a lot of diversity in the next two books that you didn't get in the second Harry Potter book, and I think though that might be why those two are my favorite. Well, that can make sense. Yeah. I think you'll really enjoy three and four. I think I think book four in particular is going to be one of your favorites. So when it comes to the movies, I've obviously I've watched through four. Right. So. But you missed a lot. Like there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in the book is what I've been told that I'm missing out on. And so far, again, three has been outstanding. I'm excited to try to wrap up my 10 chapters this week. But other than that, I'd have to say if I had to give like a grading on like my opinions on the book versus the the movie adaptation wise of the book i would probably give the movie like a b or a c like which movie chamber of the secrets chamber of the secrets yeah i would say it's it's an okay adaptation it gets the main plot across the point the movie if you haven't read the books was probably more enjoyable but for the book, the plot point paid off in the end, so like I enjoyed it. I would say probably like a B minus. It wasn't my favorite, and I don't think it will. And that grade will probably change based on how the other books come along. But mm-hmm. Chamber of Secrets was kind of disappointing, kind of lulled me off a little bit. Yeah. So the other things I read during our little uh, hiatus from recording are The Empire of Gold by S.A. Chakraborty, which is the final book in the Devabod trilogy. It's the series about genies in the 18th century that I've talked about a lot, and I ended up rating it 3.5 stars, which was absolutely shocking for me. I was completely surprised by the fact that I did not love this book. I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. And I think it's because the pacing was really off because we spent about 80% of the book at a walk and then the last 20% was a sprint. And so for most of the book, you're meandering and like developing character stuff and setting up things. And then you're just running full speed for the last part of it. And I think it's because certain things that were developed in this one should have been developed in book one or book two, and it didn't make it into those books. And so suddenly you're wanting to get to this end point, but you haven't developed what you need to develop, so you have to work on it throughout the novel. So it forced you to kind of go really slow, and then all of a sudden it was like Usain Bolt speed, basically. Right, right. And to a degree, some of these things that got developed in the beginning of the book really did pay off by the end, but some of them really fell flat. And one of those is in this series, you get a couple of aha, like, turns. You get moments where suddenly someone explains something and you're like, oh my god, what a twist, what a turn. You get these weird family relevations about certain characters. And... That is the point in the first book's epilogue that convinced me to read book two, is you had this familial relationship sort of taken out from behind a curtain, and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe this, and this person knows, and this person doesn't know, and I need to know what's going to happen. And then that trick was used again in this book, and for me, that really just soured me on it, because you've already done that sort of twist, 
And now you're like, well, that twist was wrong, and this twist is how this goes, and I don't need another familial reveal moment. Gotcha. And in the end, they do an epilogue that makes it sort of pay off, and you get this nice little moment between these two characters who you suddenly realize are related. And it's cute, and, you know, I think this series is a really good series, but it didn't pay off for the amount of time and energy I'd put into this series, especially given that... It took me over a week to read this because I was taking care of my mom after her surgery. So I would read a couple pages here and a couple pages there. Or at the end of the night when everyone's asleep, I got to read for about an hour. So for me, I felt like I was putting so much effort into getting my reading in. And then it was just not what I wanted. Right. Do you think if you would have read it under different circumstances that it would have been better? or? I want to say yes, but... In my heart, I'm not sure I can say yes because I had such a problem with the pacing and just how the time felt like it got taken away because I put so much time into the first two books and then you want to develop the characters more, which I get, but then we're running towards the end and I'm just like, this might have needed to be four books. Like you, to put in the kind of time and effort in developing the characters and the world the way you want to, this might have needed to be four books. Or maybe better spread out amongst the three books, you think, or... This is a really chunky series. All of these books are over 500 pages. So maybe four books then. So I feel like you could have broken up this last book into two books and better developed what you wanted to develop because you have these two characters going off and seeing new parts of the world. And yet I know almost nothing about it because you were too busy trying to develop the characters and their conflict and I feel like you needed more there but at the same time if you had done that you would have slowed the pace down even more yeah so I think you really needed to make that two book but I still gave it 3.5 stars despite all my complaining that's good and then very quickly I read Rogue Protocol over the weekend by Martha Wells. That's the third book in the Murderbot Diaries, which is about this sassy AI who has taken over their governor module and just wants to sit around and watch all of their serials all day, all their TV shows. You mean you and sassy AI? No. Right? Shocker. But for this one, this is the lowest rated of all of the Murderbot Diaries that I've read so far and I gave it 3.75 stars and it's because A, it's so short. Right. I know, me wanting a longer book, shocking, but this novella was a little over 150 pages and yet I felt like I barely got to know any of the characters outside of Murderbot. So for me, I need more, but also a lot of the internal dialogue for Murderbot is just repeated. And for me, that really fell flat because I feel like you have this sassy AI who everyone loves and yet you're having them repeat jokes that were in books one and two. So for me, I felt like that was sort of, I don't know, lazy maybe. So it's almost like you got that guy that tells the same joke to every single person hoping that they still continue to get the same laughs from it. Right, right. They find a joke that works and then wants to keep using it. And so for me, what I'm really hoping is that the next book ends up doing better as far as those two things go. It is a little longer than this book I just read, but I'm going to read Exit Strategy by Martha Wells, the fourth book in the series, towards the end of the week, probably on the weekend, 
and the week I'm actually going to be doing my Christmas in July finally. I had planned to do it the 3rd through the 6th, but then I had to go to Oklahoma, so that got pushed back. So I'm going to be reading Miracle Creek Christmas by Krista Jensen, which I actually started over the weekend. And that is basically what I call a Hallmark movie in book form. So it's set during Christmas time. You've got this woman going to this small town to be their new art teacher and she meets this sort of surly fireman who was injured in a fire. So they're going to fall out of love, then fall into love, and then kiss, and then the end. I don't know, but so far in the book, he's been this real jerk to people because he's got burns on his face, and he's uncomfortable with himself, so he's taking it out on other people, and he's got PTSD and all of that, and yet somehow they're becoming friends and maybe something more. That sounds already better than a Hallmark movie. It is pretty good. Yeah. We'll have to see what I think of it next week. And then after I finish that one, I'm going to pick up another arc I have, which is In a Holidays by Christina Lauren. And it's about this girl whose family normally rents out a cabin in Utah for Christmas. And this is their last year doing so. And she wants to have this perfect Christmas. And she ends up in a groundhog situation where she has to do it over and over until she gets it right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's like one of those Hallmark movies we watched a couple weeks ago where they had the same thing happen. Right, where she kept waking up on the floor of the uh, mall or whatever it was. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'll be a little bit better than Hallmark movie because these are normally... It's a writing duo who normally writes romance. So I think the romance is going to be good. I think it adds a Christmas element, which I like. And I want all year round. So we'll see how that goes. And then after that, I'll pick up Exit Strategy by Martha Wells. And obviously my book that I'm picking up is Prisoner of Azkaban. It's already been discussed. Yeah. So far, so good. Just keep it on that, that method of the madness. Yeah. But I hope that this split version of our podcast ended up working out for us. And for you guys, let's just be honest. Because I know not everyone's into sports. And definitely not everybody's into books. What do you mean by definitely not? I'm just that confident. (laughs) But thanks for listening and make sure you check us out on all of the social medias, which should be listed in the note. And uh, thank you again and goodbye. Bye.